Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of A Book with a Bubble Tea. This is a new podcast, and I'm your host, Mira He. At this show, I'm going to share some fantastic books from East Asia that you might not have come across in mainstream English media or on your usual bookshelves. But trust me, they're worth your time because they are fascinating and inspirational. Now, let me give you a little background about myself. I was born and raised in Taiwan until I turned 18. Then I headed over to Japan for my undergraduate studies and later to Norway for about a year. Eventually, I moved to the UK, got married, then hopped over to the UAE, and now my family and I are living in Saudi Arabia. So from my background, I'm sure you can tell I had a quite of a multicultural journey. And I found that, you know, it affects me when I'm choosing the books I'm reading because when I'm learning about something, I gravitate towards publications from different countries. For instance, Japanese books usually you know, are quite brief, but it cover like wide range of subjects in one book, but they won't delve too deeply into any particular subject. Instead, they give you the essence and often in an easy to digest format like comics or illustrations, making it the perfect introduction book to any challenging subject. On the other hand, English publications tend to be wordier, packed with reference after reference, and does not mind spending lengthy chapter to illustrate one simple point to make it really clear. It's evident that different cultures have their own preferred way of conveying information, and they all have different perspectives as well. So coming from Taiwan, Taiwan is a small place. We don't have enough writers domestically, so we tend to translate a lot of publications from all over the world into Mandarin. And the benefit of that is it gives Taiwanese readers a perfect opportunity to experience diverse styles of writing and different perspectives as well. But, you know, when I was studying in the West, I noticed that most of the books available were written by English speakers. Also, they might be from different countries. The style tend to be more homogenous. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to bring books written in various languages to the attention of English speakers? And that, my friends, is the idea and goal behind this podcast. I'll be sharing my reading notes on some of the books I have been diving into, and most of them are in languages other than English. Just a heads up, as a mom who runs her own property management business in Abu Dhabi, the books I'll be talking about will lean more towards parenting, business, health, productivity, and other things about life. If that sounds like your cup of tea, or should I say cup of bubble tea, let's dive in. So in our first episode, we're going to discuss an interesting book called Manual to Use the Sun. To use the sun? That just sounds like a weird title, isn't it? It is indeed, because that's a direct translation from its Japanese title called Musuko no Torisetsu. Torisetsu in Japanese means uh, those manuals that show you how to use electronic devices. And the author used the word torisetsu quite intentionally. 
It is catchy and perfectly illustrates her objective of the book. It intends to show all the moms with sons how to communicate with these male creatures before we all go mad. And going mad, that's exactly what happened to me. Here's what happened. And it's just one of my days. Basically, the day before my sister introduced this book to me, I had an episode with my son. He was five and a half. And let's just say that when it comes to bathroom etiquette, he's still finding his way. One particular evening, I spent a good 20 minutes trying to get him seated in front of the piano for practice. Just as we were getting started, he declared that he needed to use the bathroom. Understandably, of course, You know, everybody has a need, but then minutes turned into what seemed like an eternity. I wondered what on earth was taking him so long. Suddenly, I heard him singing in the bathroom, and upon entering, he greeted me with a grin, telling me he had 25 fingers and toes. But, you know, the real kicker? He hopped down from the toilet without wiping, ready to pull up his underwear. I intervened and reminded him to wipe. He then grabbed an excess of tissue and somewhat carelessly attempted the task. I was simply dumbfounded. Why, oh why, could he never remember to wipe properly or flush the toilet? And then, as I was reaching for more toilet paper to assist him, he decided to inspect the situation with his finger. He innocently looked up at me and said, Oh, it's not clean yet. Looking back, it's hilarious, but at that moment, I was beside myself. I couldn't help but raise my voice and shouted at him, Why on earth are you touching that? Why can't you remember to clean up properly? You're already five and a half. My son, in all his innocence, could not fathom my frustration. He simply replied, Well, I can wipe properly when I'm six and a half. Honestly, this sort of scenario is just way too common in my household. And it baffles me when I watch YouTube videos of like three year olds expertly brushing their teeth, solving math problems, and generally being more independent. Here I am still struggling with basic bathroom routines. The more my son seemed to slack off, the more I felt compelled to push him. Which in turn left me feeling exhausted and frustrated. Then a pang of guilt would hit me for the way I handled the situation. Interestingly, I started to notice that many of the seemingly perfect children on YouTube were girls. Could this be a common thread among sons that they just seem, um, more stupid? And this is what this book is about trying to explain boys' and girls' different behavior patterns from the perspective of different brain structures and auto wiring. Sounds interesting? Before we dive deeper, let's talk a little bit about the author, Kurokawa Ihoko, or Ihoko Kurogawa if you put her first name first. The author, Ihoko Kurogawa, Is a respected AI expert from Japan, born in 1959. Currently, she's leading the company she founded in 2003 called Kansei Research. Kansei is a Japanese term that embodies both emotionality and sensibility. Prior to her entrepreneurial venture, 
Kurokawa spent 14 years at Fujitsu Social Science Laboratory, focusing on the hottest topic of our day now, AI, artificial intelligence. Beyond that, she has been quite involved in the naming process for a variety of products, spanning categories from cosmetics to cars and even food. But Kurokawa hasn't confined her expertise to just the AI field. She has leveraged her knowledge of AI and brain research to author an array of books on effective communication strategies. These strategies mainly target interactions between genders and amongst family members. Some of her most noteworthy titles include The Manual for Dealing with Husbands, Manual for Dealing with Wives, Manual for Dealing with Family Members, Witty Couple Life, Creating a Love Brain, and an illustrated guide to the laws of attraction for happiness. Do note that these titles are directly translated from Japanese, just for your understanding. All right, now let's delve into the book itself. I would like to set the stage by letting you know that despite the author's background in AI, you shouldn't expect to find an abundance of references or citations in the book regarding how she came to her conclusion about why boys and girls tend to exhibit distinct differences from a young age. I would recommend approaching this book not as an academic paper, but more akin to an observation from a mother who has a son and she takes on what makes boys behave in a certain way, often baffling. To those moms with sons, you know what I mean. This book might give you some comfort. So here are some takeaways from the books. Takeaway number one. They are not stupid. They just have a different brain. Don't judge them. Be patient with them. Even though their absent-mindedness or seeing but not noticing syndrome might be forever, it doesn't mean they... I mean, the boys have character flaws. It's just that their brains don't process the way like girls do. And these brain differences come from two parts. One is the thickness of the corpus callosum, which is the thickness that connects the left and right hemispheres of our brains. So female brains tend to have a thicker corpus callosum than male brains. And we know that left and right brain handles different things like logic, language, and motion. So thicker callosum can mean a better connection between different functions of the brain. The other part of the brain that makes boys and girls behave differently is our neural signaling pattern. It seems that we are just wired differently. And wiring differently means even if we have the same hardware, like our body is the same, If we are tuned differently, we are likely to behave differently under the same circumstance. To draw a parallel with solving a math question, today if you are asked to calculate 1,325 plus 4,657 on a computer, even if the computer is the same, some people might default to find the calculator app. Some might pull out an Excel spreadsheet, some might freeze and doesn't know what to do, some might just Google it or chat GPT it. Different default actions lead to varying behaviors, and oftentimes the selection of action taken is unconscious. 
for adults, it might be influenced by our upbringing, our cultural backgrounds, or experiences, our education, etc. But the author says these unconscious instant preferences are also evident in boys and girls from birth. So, what are the typical behavioral patterns of the male brain that is different to females? The key differences are: first, a choice between focusing on the distant or the near, like focusing something that are far off or what's close up. Second, others versus oneself, like whether they are focusing on other people or versus on themselves. Third, objective versus subjective. Like they focus on the facts versus women tend to focus on how I see it, how we feel it. Right? It might already ring a bell for many of us. Takeaway number two: Boys' natural build is for hunting. They can see the obvious details in front of them because they are focusing on things far off. Our brains can switch our attention between things far off or things close up, but you can't do both simultaneously. Give any boy a toy car, you can see their eyes instantly glue to it. If it moves, then guarantee you that they won't be able to take their eyes from that shining things. That, in the author's opinion, is the nature of a hunter. Whereas girls have this lock-on mode for adorable things nearby, like their dolls or things that look pretty or cute to them. The author says this is more likely. To their natural build for nurture offspring, there's no good or bad when it comes to how we are wired or what are our natural buildup. There are some major benefits to how the male brains are wired. Having this distant perspective, boys are generally better at spatial awareness and structure of things. Proficient in deep thinking, or having a good sense of distance, and tend to be more goal-oriented. That means they are naturally more built for subjects like science or things adventurous. A quick disclaimer here: here we are talking about natural build-up, but we know education, culture, and upbringing can equip and influence people greatly. So natural build-up is just a foundation. How one performs in life, depending on many other factors. If I look at my son again from this perspective, I might be able to cut him some slack. After all, going to the toilet is just about that, right? It might just be too difficult for him to remember a whole bunch of bathroom routine that he needs to do after finishing his business. Kurokawa says, once they have set their minds on capturing that prey, it's hard for them to notice the small things on the ground in front of them. And a bit of messiness in the living environment for boys might actually be excellent training for them. I am not sure how the messiness helps with boys' development, but I'm clear that I need to teach him the toilet routine a lot more times than his younger sister. Understanding this will save us a lot of head-to-head conflict with our sons, because they just don't get it. They are not wired the way we are. Takeaway number three. Moms are the center of boys' universe until they become teens. This covers the second difference between the male brain and the female brain: how they see themselves and others. 
If you ever want to be so passionately loved by someone that more than your husbands can ever love you, then have a son. The author says, moms are their love, their goddess, their compasses, and the center of their universe. And they totally depend on their moms to take care of things near them for them until they are nearly teens. That's because compared to girls, boys develop their sense of himself, themselves much later. Girls know early on that they are different to others. Their favorite things is themselves. They keenly observe their relationship with the people surrounding them. They observe, judge, and learn how their moms behave. Whereas boys, on the other hand, don't see themselves but others. Maybe it's something to do with their tendency to focus on things from afar. They tend to put themselves aside and intensely focus on others, starting with their mothers and moving on to anything else that captured their attentions. Their focus on their moms is intense. Until puberty, the mother is the alpha and omega for boys. They are goddesses and the object of their utmost affection. A boy's heart is all about his mom's. His sense of self is intrinsically linked to her. As soon as she's home waiting for him, he can go out adventuring and just seeing his mom smile when he returns bring him peace and tranquility. Boys are fully engaged in perceiving distant objects, leaving the near things entirely to their mothers, depending on the mothers. It is as though they trust their entire being to their mothers and then are utterly absorbed in distant toys, cars, trains, etc., said the author. Honestly, this intense love for their mothers is super evident in sons. When my son was younger, I often thought to myself, man, did I actually give her to a stalker that I can't get rid of? But now I know. It's just because he loves me so much, more than he can explain. He wants to jump on me, climb on me, and follow me. I don't think I'll ever experience this kind of intense love again. I'll totally miss it when he grows up. When my son annoys me again, just remember, it's all because of love. Takeaway number four. They're not intentionally naughty. They just don't know you are angry. The third difference between male and female brains is the tendency between looking at things objectively or subjectively. Boys tend to be goal-oriented and objective, which makes them suitable for science and business areas that require an overlooking perspective, discerning the whole, perceiving the structure of things. Girls, on the other hand, lean more towards the subjective, starting from their own perspective. Of course, through education and upbringing, once we grow up, both men and women can flexibly change perspectives from objective to subjective or vice versa. But the author believes that, when kids are young, one tends to dominate the other. It's difficult to use both simultaneously and switch easily. So next time, when you are mad at your son about something he does, it's very likely that he doesn't even know you are angry. And now we are finally moving on to the author's tip on how to nurture boys. In light of the characteristics of boys' brain mentioned above, as well as personal parenting experiences, 
The author suggests that the following behaviors can help a boy grow into a man who is considerate and adventurous at the same time. Since you mentioned a lot of them, I'm only going to mention a few here. First, boys need the company of mature men. Men have their own unique set of trust relationships. Second, boys need a permanent play space or workshop where everything can be created and then destroyed. This apparently cultivates outstanding creativity in their brains, improve their spatial awareness, stabilizing their emotions, and improving concentration. For boys, being allowed to make a mess is the best kind of talent education. Third, allow your son to be pampered. A boy's independence and venturous nature are instinctive, and being pampered will not weaken these traits. Instead, it strengthens his future independence. Fourth, forcing your son to pay attention to what is in front of him and to be sensitive to situations will actually make him unable to see the bigger picture, and will weaken his adventurous spirit. Fifth. You can discipline your son, but don't expect him to reach the same level as girls. Sixth, reading adventurous books is a good way to give him a sense of society, injustice, and patience. Reading him about another boy his age fighting against enemies or facing various setbacks will actually awake his sense of mission and encourage him to be independent and self-reliant. This is especially important for boys aged nine to twelve. Playing chess and go are also good training methods. Seventh, don't be afraid to let your son fail. Don't nag and don't always help him. Eighth, have lots of parent-children conversations with your own son using emotionally rich language and make good use of picture books to enrich your son's language development. Ninth. Give your son time to daydream. Daydreaming occurs frequently before the cerebellum matures at age eight. It seems to have a positive effect on the development of science and art. Tenth, being pampered, reading, and sleeping are the basic combinations for nurturing a boy's brain. Among them, sleeping is the most important thing. Eleventh. Ages nine to twelve are the golden years for boys' brains. Read a lot of fantasy adventures or historical stories. Have a lot of experiences and sleep well is really helpful to them. And ages zero to eight should prioritize playing and daydreaming. Twelfth, teaching boys to respect women from an early age, such as standing beside a lady and waiting for her to sit down before taking a seat. Or helping ladies put on their coats are good trainings. Thirteenth, give your son a task that is exclusively his and can help his mom, such as giving his mom a hug when she's struggling to write an article. That's it. This is the first episode of our podcast, and it covers the topic of how the male brain functions. My son doesn't know that I was reading this book, but I think he must have noticed the changes in me. Yesterday, when he saw me about to leave the house, he suddenly hugged me and repeatedly said, "I love you." He kept on saying it nonstop to the point that's actually annoying. I almost told him to shut up and just be quiet, but then I suddenly realized 
I was being showered with his intense love. Instead, I also held him tightly and repeatedly responded, I love you too. This book makes me feel the joy of raising a son. I hope that I can be the woman he loves the most for a little bit longer. The more I understand my son a bit, the more I am confident in my choice of the right approach to treating him and bring him up. It's useless to compare my son with other seemingly perfect YouTube kids or even girls next door. I just need to focus on what's best for him and constantly remind myself to be patient. I think patience is the key to raising a boy. If you ever lose patience, just come back to this episode. You are not alone. And eventually, they will grow into wonderful men. I feel this book is also suitable for me to understand my husband a bit more. If you, like me, are always frustrated because your husbands never seem to throw his socks into the laundry basket, leaves lights on wherever he goes, and doesn't close doors after opening them, then perhaps this book is also perfect for you too. Upon realizing that's all of this is simply because their brains can't handle it. You can flip your hair and say, all right, I'll generously forgive you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time in our episode two.